2: Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, Karen Fireman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast. Hot stocks going up in smoke. We'll find out what sparked today's cannabis crunch. Plus, a crypto double play, the two big headlines that got the attention of Bitcoin bulls. And later, basketball backlash, the outrage growing in China against the NBA. We'll get exclusive reaction from former NBA all-star Jamal Mashburn. But we begin right now with some breaking news. Trade talks with China wrapping up just moments ago. And we just heard from President Trump. Let's get to Kayla Tausche in D.C. with the very latest. Hey, Kayla.
3: Hey, Melissa, we just saw the Chinese delegation depart the office of the U.S. Trade Representative en masse after nearly seven hours of negotiations that President Trump just moments ago said went very well. He confirmed again that he will be meeting uh, with China's top negotiator, the Vice Premier Liu He, at the White House tomorrow. He also answered a question about a possible investigation that he requested China do last week to look into The family of Joe Biden and possible corruption, according to the president, that he believes went on there. He said it's up to China to look into whatever it wants to. Uh, But that is an interesting comment given a wrinkle today, where an outside advisor to the president, Michael Pillsbury, at the Hudson Institute, made some comments to the Financial Times, saying that he raised the issue of the Bidens with China. Later in comments to the Washington Post, he acknowledged that he discussed the Bidens with China, but said it was China that brought it up and it was not a discussion that happened at the behest of the president. That's certainly going to be a cloud that hangs over any progress in these talks and whether there's any relation between these two issues. Here's what the Chamber of Commerce expects to happen tomorrow. To give you a little detail about the contours of any deal that we could see, Myron Brilliant is the executive vice president at the chamber. He met with Leo Hu yesterday. He says to expect progress and de-escalation, but not a grand slam that there's still going to be a lot of work to do. He expects the October 15th tariffs to be paused or to not escalate on that date he says that you will see a possible currency deal this week that's been underway for months and that huawei licenses for better or worse have been a centerpiece of discussions around trade so that's straight from someone who has met with china's top negotiator uh, in just the last 24 hours and as the president says things have gone very well of course melissa we're all trying to prognosticate exactly what we could see tomorrow and that's a little bit of detail that may help get us there
2: you mentioned the tariff escalation on the 15th, Kayla. How about the December 15th tranche?
3: Well, of course, that is sort of the holy grail for all of these technology and consumer companies that would be swept up in that right before the holiday. Unclear exactly how the president feels about that. That is seen as, uh, you know, one of the biggest pieces of leverage that the, the White House has in this situation. But it also could be uh, the biggest self-inflicted wound. That's the worry of the principals here. We don't yet know whether that is on the table.
2: All right. Kayla, thank you. Kayla Taushi in Washington for us with the very latest on the trade negotiations. Again, Trump saying we had a very, very good negotiation, Guy Dami, How do you think we enter tomorrow's session?
4: Well, I mean, positive, clearly. Apple tells you that there's probably going to get a deal done. And even Caterpillar, which has been a miserable stock, that was actually up today as well. So both those stocks indicate something gets done. But it's funny. People on Twitter say to me, you know, you've been saying for the last 16 months that the Chinese can sort of have the resolve. Yep. That's exactly the point. It's been 16 months, and there's still no trade deal. So, you know, President Trump can speak about, you know, we had a great conversation. A lot can still happen. They could absolutely walk away. They don't get the deal they want. IP is still a huge thing here. I have no idea. The market is saying that all systems are go for a trade deal. But then you're into earnings next week, and you wonder, and the point I tried to make last night is you wonder if we're not really focused on the right things. Maybe things are slowing down. Maybe the, euf- the, you know, the euphoria around the deal has gotten us to basically all-time highs. You get a deal, then what? Then you have to rely on earnings, and quite frankly, I don't think they're going to be there. I
2: guess the question, I mean, in terms of the outline of a of skinny deal that Kayla had outlined with Myron Brilliant from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, I mean, if those things are accomplished, would that trade deal trump the negative commentary we could get out of third quarter earnings season because of the uncertainty of trade. I mean, does that uncertainty go away? I think it's sh-
5: um, no, because I'm, I don't know if the kind of skinny deal or any type of de-escalation is going to be a short-term positive for the market. We saw it over the last 24 hours, how the market traded. It was down big in the middle of the night, rallied back when things were going better. So you have to think that any type of de-escalation is good. But then it, it comes to, does it give CEOs confidence to go out and spend money. Do they need to spend money? Do that Does it lift their uncertainty about what the world looks like? What does Europe look like? What What's going on with Brexit? I don't think it does that. So to me, any rally is simply a sugar high relief rally, and then it's a prove it to me type of market.
6: Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know how you can feel really good about earnings. I think that the earnings that companies will report will probably be okay, right? People are employed, right? Interest rates are low, good for a lot of industries, but we saw it, we'll get to it a little more later, but Delta, for example, great quarter, guidance not as good. And that ended up being this story. And right. I think we could end up seeing that over and over. We'll start to see it next week with the banks. But to Guy, Guy has had been right all along. He's been skeptical of a, of, a, of a deal. And I feel like this this rally is one to be faded because so many times... This rally, the one that we have now, right now 3% off of record could highs. It be? could it be a little bit more going mm-hmm. if they announce something good? Yeah, I guess it probably could. But also... It could end up then quickly falling apart. I feel like every time we, we you know, do something that seems rash, tar- raise tariffs, then they retaliate. And it seems to me like the administration is like, wow, it's like Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> every retaliation is like, oh, a punch in the face. We didn't know that was coming. So I, I don't love how we're positioned going in, the market being this high and the chances of something comprehensive, very low. Oh, yeah, And maybe a small deal.
5: Yeah,
7: I'm not sure that looking at the S&P 2.5% from its all-time highs is the best lens to kind of evaluate how these trade discussions are going. We know that the S&P has outperformed almost every major, um, you know, market index, equity index for the last couple of years. It's, a, it's a, just a source of uh, funds. It's the same reason why the dollar might be up It's the same reason why treasuries have acted really well here in the U.S. It seems to be a safety trade, you know, and we also see, obviously, these sectors in the S&P, you know that are driving this last leg here. It's staples. It's it's utilities. I know we sound like a broken record here. Not you know it's not giving me a whole heck of a lot of confidence saying that's the thing that's going to break this market out of this almost two-year range right here. And I think you got to go back and you got to look at the underperformance today of small caps. The X, uh, the uh, IWM that tracks the Russell 2000 did not act particularly well. I think that the transports still act particularly poorly. So there's a lot of stuff under the surface. The the stalling out in mega tech, which is growth, um, to me. Amazon, I know Guy mentioned it earlier in the day when we were chatting, um, you know, went red on the day. That stock is, you know, 15% from its all time highs, has not confirmed a new high in the SP all year long. So to me, I just think there's a lot of things under the hood that don't act particularly well. And I'll just make the point I think I make every single night that if you've bought every new high in the SP since January 2018, you know, you just didn't get a whole heck of a lot for it. You actually got a big drawdown over the next two months. And I don't like the fact in April we had a sell off after a new high high mm-hmm. in earnings season. Same thing in July. What are we doing right now? We're heading to a new new high as we go into Q3 earnings season. So to me, I just don't think this is the what you want to buy to get this, a lot of torque to the upside.
4: Yeah, I'm glad Dan mentioned the IWM because I think it's important. And if you go back, I think it was May of this year, 145 was where it bottomed out. If you go even further back from there, 145 has been a pretty, pretty critical level. We tested it last couple days, closed up, I think, four-tenths of a percent right Today, it's probably higher in the after hours based on uh, what we just heard from President Trump. But if you want to trade the broader market against something, in my opinion, and I've said this for a while, I think 145 in the Russell, the IWM is sort of your line in the sand.
2: I think everybody here sounds pretty cautious about any sort of deal that could be reached. But what I thought was interesting in today's market was was this move in treasuries. I mean, we saw a 1.5% decline in TLT. We had a big rise in the 10-year yield. It didn't seem commensurate with what was going on in the markets in terms of a half percent rise pretty much across the board. Yeah, and
5: bonds haven't been trading um, in lockstep necessarily, or at least percentage-wise, with the markets for a while, which actually concerns me a bit because you know we need an awful lot of demand for these bonds. So if you're starting to see kind of a sell-off in there, you don't want bond yields to rise for the wrong reason. If we have strong growth and the 10-year yield is supposed to reflect GDP growth over the next couple of years, if we have strong growth, then great, have rising yields. But we have rising yields because there's not a lot of demand. And this might be counterintuitive, but you have a, if you have a deal, a lot of money has flown into the U.S., as Dan said, because of a safe haven, right? You could have money start to flow over to Europe if we get a deal. Europe might be a better beneficiary. So you might see money pull out of the bond market. You might see money pull out of the U.S. equity market and flow over to Europe, even if we got a deal that most of us expected. Can,
2: can we walk through that a little bit? I mean, because... a. a... A deal with China would mean greater economic growth for Europe. I mean, the upside right, for Europe is much
5: greater than much greater because China is the their biggest yeah. export market, right? So China's economy is doing better. Europe economy is doing better. Europe has gotten decimated in this, so you might see that flow back into that. I mean, would
6: you buy Europe if there is a China well, I'm a, deal? I'm always long, you know, so, so you know, around the world. But and, it, and so far, I mean, some of Europe's been okay, but other parts n- not as well. That's I just, Germany, actually, the index, the DAX, has had a decent okay, year. Yeah. It reflects, I think, some optimism that things have bottomed.
2: Our next guest says, forget trade. There's something even bigger investors should be focused on. Let's bring in Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist. Mike, always great to see you. Thank you. Bigger than trade? How can that be? <laughs> what you, is it?
0: You guys are talking about it. It's, there's a, look, there's a fundamental story here that's been going on all year, which is the business cycle is rolling over. And... I th- and if I, if I talk to a lot of clients, right, so I would say that eight, you know, people blame trade for 80% of the slowdown and they think the business cycle is, in its own merit, 20% of the reason for the slowdown. I'm the other way. Uh, our call has been that the business cycle is, is really 80% of the reason for why things have been slowing and trade has been like a cherry on top, which is just kind of you know, reduced confidence and taking some edge. You know, for Germany, it's been worse, obviously, than other parts of the, of the, of the world, but it's not the main driver. Mm-hmm. And so for me, this is a sell the news event uh, and, and it's, it's interesting to hear all of you talk somewhat cautiously you know that that should make us maybe more bullish but i think that's right in other words if, if we're in a bear market right? we've been chopping around now for 18 months and it's a rolling bear market it's not devastating but the have been some areas that have been hit pretty hard and in a bear market you're supposed to be bearish so so i think sentiment can stay negative for a while until we see a trough in the earnings revisions we see kind of a trough in some of the global indicators that maybe things are, are bottoming out and i just don't see that for another three or six months our work is very clear uh, it's been clear for 18 months, and I just don't see that trough until the first quarter.
7: So, Mike, you know, this time last year, it seemed a lot of complacency, um, but there was also a lot of optimism despite rising rates at the time, and I don't think anyone foresaw a 20% peak to trough decline in the U.S. equities in such a short period of time. What do you think the probability of that is now? Now, obviously, the rate situation is very different, and I wonder, does that give you a bit of a cushion for what might be, you know, a modest sell-off compared to what a 20% one last you for?
0: Yeah, I think the chance of a 20% sell off at the index level is very low. We've been adamant about that because the Fed is in a different place. They're not tightening anymore. That's good. That will cushion the blow. The fundamentals are going to start to deteriorate again. You know, it's interesting last year, uh, the market held up until September. And the reason why it held up until September is because the forward year numbers typically don't come down until the fourth quarter. So Karen, you mentioned Delta. I think we're going to see a lot of that fourth quarter. And then, of course, that's going to happen for other companies. And once the forward numbers come down, then we can have a correction. But I don't think it's more than 10% at the index level. What we're focused on now is the. we think all the risk is in a few areas, and it's primarily in the gross stocks within the U.S., because that's the area that has been treated as a kind of protected species, along with the defensive stocks, in an economic slowdown. And I think that's incorrect, meaning the defensive stocks always trade well into a slowdown. They should because they're bond proxies and they're defensive. But gross stocks generally are cyclical. A lot of them are cyclical, and I think we're going to see that now And those stocks could go down 20 percent, 30 percent. Don't the
2: valuations of the defensive sectors worry you this time around, though? I mean, when you're talking about utilities and and you're taking a look at these levels and these valuations, I mean, isn't this just as dangerous as the growth stocks could be?
0: It's a great question. They're not at this stage of the cycle. So we're we're of the view that in July, when the market figured out the Fed was going to be cutting rates, that that was a transition from late cycle to end of cycle. And so we made we made a call that we said, OK, now the, the momentum part of the, the trade has been defensives and growth together. That's now going to split. The defenses will outperform the growth stocks. And that's exactly what's been happening. So in other words, the market is confirming our view that it's end of cycle. So the defenses will stay expensive until the yield curve starts to re you know, steepen and the Fed gets in front of it. And people really acknowledge that there's a recession coming and the earnings have to come down a lot more. Once that happens, then the defenses are going to be very vulnerable
6: what would you need to see to make you think all right there are a few more innings left in this cycle of expansion
0: well i tell you i I mean it's it's getting harder uh i I just don't i I don't i don't know what that would be it had to be some sort of an exogenous fiscal stimulus probably either from germany or another part of the world. It's not coming from the united states i don't think it's tomorrow i don't think that they're going to roll back okay the tariffs that are already in place if they were to do that and they said okay we're actually going to roll back the tariffs in september we're going to roll back the tariffs we did in july now maybe that could gin up you know animal spirits one more time but i don't think that's happening tomorrow but of course i have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow morning so mike the
4: fed seems to have dampened volatility in the equities market but the u.s bond market which is the biggest bond market on the planet volatility has been historic in terms of percentage moves 3.15 percent down to 147 back to 182 back i mean it's pretty crazy in a short period of time is the is the volatility in the bond market sort of a scary thing potentially for U.S. equities?
0: Well, it's a dampener for how much risk you can hold, right? So, you know, one of the things that gets cited all the time is that institutional investors' exposures have come down a lot, right? Uh, Retail investors are heavily in cash. But let's talk about the institutional investor. You know, they can't hold as much risk in an environment where you've got that kind of volatility in the pricing mechanism for equities. So I I think lower lower yields is unequivocally positive for valuations. But the higher volatility has to knock it down a bit. So I think stocks are okay. I mean, they're fairly valued given what's going on at the index level. The problem, once again, is you have these areas of expensiveness. And I would still choose defensives over gross stocks if I had to choose one.
2: Okay. 27 to uh, 3,000 3, is your range on the S&P. Still twenty seven hundred to yeah. 3,000. Yeah. Mike, good to see you. Thank you. You too. Thank Mike you. Wilson, Morgan Stanley. I think um, the point Mike was making is really interesting and right on in terms of If you took away China trade, would that change anything about the economic backdrop for the S&P 500?
5: That that is the big question, is that whether or not this kind of cyclical downturn is inevitable, right? We know that the business cycle hasn't been extinguished. It still exists. So are we just seeing the natural workings of an economy and the trade has just kind of exacerbated it? If that is the case, which Mike has, you know, it's been proven to be right. Mike's said that for a long time. Then, yeah, I think we are headed lower in the... And, and it doesn't even matter if the Fed cuts rates because you're talking about companies that it doesn't matter. They're not going to hire somebody else because rates are down 25 basis points. There's no CEO out there there going, boy, money's so tight, I can't hire that marginal worker. All
2: right, Coming up, we got the latest on that developing story out of Northern California, where hundreds of thousands of people are without power at this hour. We'll take you there live. And later, the growing backlash against the NBA in China. You'll hear from former NBA all-star Jamal Mashburn on what is at risk. He is here at the NASDAQ. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story out of Northern California. Widespread blackouts continuing today as PG&E cuts power to more than a half a million customers. This is a utility giant tries to ward off the risk of deadly wildfires. Let's get to Josh Lipton live in Berkeley with the very latest. Josh.
8: So, Melissa, we are in Berkeley, California, in Berkeley Hills specifically, which is one of these areas that had their power cut off, about 4,000 customers here had their power cut off. Part of what's going on here is that you have this strong wind, which is ripping through the state. Uh, at peak times today, peak wind hits 77 miles per hour in some parts of California, and that is the concern to PG&E. That's the worry that that then damages the infrastructure and leads to more of these devastating wildfires that we've seen here, so they took this step, PG&E. They shut off power to hundreds of thousands of customers. Of course, a customer could be a business or a building, so you really could be talking about as much as 2 million people who are going to be impacted here. In terms of economic cost, that could reach as much as $2.5 billion. And as you mentioned, this is coming at a critical time for PG&E. You know, sought bankruptcy protection earlier this year, but then he had this judge just step in and open at least the door to um, this other potential rival um, bankruptcy protection. And that just cratered the stock today you saw uh, that it's now on track for its worst year ever. Uh, Other companies responding to today, Melissa, Tesla, for example, apparently reaching out to its California customers, reminding them about the importance of charging up. And I'll just end here on another utility that's in focus, Edison International, which has now um, shut off power to about 13,000 of its customers. That's in Southern California. They're without power due to these same extreme wind. Guys, back to you.
2: All right, Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton in Berkeley, California. Let's take a look at shares of Generac soaring as the California blackouts continue. Um, This was Guy's final trade mm-hmm. yesterday?
4: Well, it was up Look big yesterday. It was up, I think, I don't know, two and a half, three percent today. And the point is, that this is not going to get any better anytime soon. And you know, it's coming into the seasonal period where Generac does well. This is just sort of, I hate to use the met, it's a terrible thing to say. This actually is a cherry on top for them. This whole situation in California. So I think this stock can continue to rally. First of all, it's not expensive. Decent short interest. Short's going to have to cover. They report at the end of the month. So, although it had a huge move yesterday, decent move today, I still think there's some room on the upside. Seasonal being hurricane season. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Really? Vraiment. Really? I mean, because it's quite a big move. Oh, it's a huge move. So, and
6: it seems to be like this is, you know, obviously it's predicated on this. News, sure. But the, you're thinking the business is maybe better. Oh, the, Just the, the magnitude of this move.
4: It's, it's ridiculous.
6: It reminds me of, you know, sort of, we were talking in the break about the company that made a vaccine for the Ebola virus. Right. Right. And there's Inovio, now break you, and then... Uh-huh. You remember the name. I couldn't think of it. They, they have this huge demand for their product that actually is really hard to fill. When there's giant demand, it gets really expensive to try to fill that demand and increase your production really quick. This move to me seems... No, it has
4: been. I mean, to Karen's point, this was a $55 stock, I think, in June. Closed today, where? $87, dollars 86 dollars or so. So the move has been ridiculous. But you've seen this before. Things can last longer than you can stay solvent is the old thing. And I think that's where we're in the midst of now. I'm not suggesting this is some long-term hold at these levels, but I do think into earnings you're going to see people continue to chase.
5: And then where do you buy a generator? Well, if you're in Generac, you sell, you make your profits, and you buy a generator. That's You mean the like trade. Home Depot? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. I, I actually think there's another play here, though. Quanta Services, PWR, they're the ones that actually contract and put up the wires. seems to me that both PC, PC and G and Edison need some new wires, need some new infrastructure. It's not an exact pure play there's some oil and gas in this, uh, but it's an interesting way to kind of Play the idea that electric infrastructure in this country needs to be rebuilt. All
2: right. Up next, more in the growing backlash against the NBA in China, you're going to hear from this guy, former NBA All Star Jamal Mashburn. We'll get his take on that and his big bet on a cannabis company. Stick around fast when he's back right after this. Nice catch.
9: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now,
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. This was a scene in Shanghai, China, earlier today as the Brooklyn Nets took on the L.A. Lakers, the game tipping off amid growing backlash against the NBA in China after the general manager of the Houston Rockets sent a tweet in support of the Hong Kong protesters. Chinese opposition to the league is mounting the English version of the Chinese daily newspaper, publishing this cartoon today titled Wrong Move, with the word politics tagged in Mandarin in the bomb in this altered NBA logo. Let's get more on this growing backlash from a former NBA All-Star. Joining us now is Jamal Mashburn. Jamal, it's great to have you here at Fast Money. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, What's your take on on all of this?
10: Uh, Well, when I played in the NBA, I played under David Stern and obviously knew Adam Silver when he uh, he took over. Known Adam Silver since he was NBA Entertainment. Uh, I think they're in a a little bit of a pickle. One thing about the NBA is that uh, they're usually at the forefront of social issues but I don't think they were anticipating this one. This caught them out of left field a little bit. There's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of politics involved. But I think Adam Silver is the best way, best person to handle it. And I think the players are a little bit of a quandary, too, because some of them have marketing deals over there with some of the Chinese shoe companies. So it'll be interesting in how this all shakes out, not just from an NBA standpoint, but from a political landscape. Right.
2: The most recent sort of political controversy in the world of sports was the kneeling controversy. And that was really something that was that was. Generated and kept up by the player. So mm-hmm. it's sort of a different circumstance to have the GM of the Rockets start this whole thing. Do you think the players these days, I mean, you mentioned all the marketing relationships, yeah. there's obviously life after the NBA that right. all players these days think about. Are they savvier now? Are they savvy enough to know that? There are huge ramifications for, for tweeting on political issues.
10: Well, I think you've seen a lot of players not engage in the conversation yeah. as of late, so they understand the economics of it, and they understand the business of it, and they don't want to hurt their brand. Uh, so they're being very careful about what they say and how they position themselves. And listen, they really understand that there's a huge market in China for basketball fans. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to go through China, India, who's an emerging market, and also Africa as well. But um, players are much more savvy. I think you'll see a lot of guys a little bit more silent until they really understand the issue and get a little bit of a direction from Adam Silver Mm -hmm. on which way to proceed.
2: Some have said the NBA is different from a publicly traded company, like a Starbucks, et cetera, um, and that the NBA doesn't necessarily have to grow. It doesn't have to go into China. It can forego that 10% of revenues it currently gets in China. What's your view? I mean, do you think, I mean, as a former player, Do you think we need to go to this new fan base, this new and growing fan base, in order to stay relevant? Uh,
10: I think in order to, you still have to grow your customer base. And at the end of the day, the NBA, in my opinion, and I've had conversation with a lot of higher-ups, they're a marketing company, essentially. I mean, uh, and just happen to be in the brand of basketball. So they have to grow their particular fan base and viewership and with streaming and the access to content. And live basketball or recorded basketball is probably some of the best content there to do in, in-game in advertising. So there's benefits on both sides. And I, I think the the NBA is in, the, in a tough situation. It'll be interesting. I don't want to be in Adam Silver's position right now. You know what I mean? Uh, he's, he's going to earn his money on this one. And he's the right guy
4: to do it, Jamal. But that's, is there a player or a group of players, and this is very complicated, as you said, that the rest of the league will take their cue from? In other words, if LeBron or Steph Curry comes out and makes a statement, will the rest of the league sort of line up with those guys? I think,
10: well, just like any team sport, you always look at the best player. And sometimes the best player is not the smartest person in the room. Um, but I think LeBron James is one of the smartest players in the league, and you cross over from NFL to Major League Baseball. I think another guy that will probably be in the forefront of it is Chris Paul. Chris Paul is the head of the NBA Players Association. He's done a lot of great work in helping out retired players, current players, and also initi- initiating some younger players into the league. So I think those guys, we have to walk hand in step with uh, Adam Silver to really craft the message. Because at the end of the day, I think it's, all, it's bigger than the NBA at the end of the day. It just happens to be the pawn in all this, and they're over there now pitching and peddling their product.
6: So, Jamal, let me ask you a tough question. If you were Nike, what Oof. would you do now? Having Ooh. taken political stances in the past, what, what would you do?
10: Um, I would probably be the retired chairman of the board <laughs> at point. Um, yes. and right off into the sunset. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting conversation, I mean, because obviously manufacturing of shoes over there, uh, selling their brand. I mean, I was a part of the uh, select team that initiated the first dream team to international basketball. So I do understand the uh, the magnification of professional sports, especially the NBA, um, that that's a tough one. I would probably be more concerned about the brands that are pulling out right now. So it's Antna, the shoe company, uh, their license deal, Tencent, the content provider there. I, I, w- I would probably be more focused on them and how do you, uh, uh, sever those relationships or bring those relationships closer to you, um, uh, within a framework that you both can work in.
2: The headlines of the day, Jamal, have hijacked this interview to talking about the NBA, but yeah. you're a business guy. You've got <laughs> car dealerships. Yeah. You've got interest in restaurant franchises like Papa John's. And your latest investment is in cannabis. Yeah. How did you get into that? Are you using cannabis in any form? What What got you
10: interested? Well, I would say this. This is, a, and I, I hope this comes off correct. This is now my new ESPN. Is you guys, watching you guys. So <laughs> I've uh, done a lot of research in the cannabis sector, and... Um, Looked at it from the standpoint of medical and also recreational and where states are going. I live in Florida right now. They have it passed medically, maybe down the road, recreationally it will be done. Um, I just see it as an emerging business that needs to really figure out how it's going to help minorities participate. Uh, People of color and also women participate in the industry, skilled labor or owning licenses or cultivation facilities. And uh, Revolution Global, I chose them because they're the best operators. great friend of mine who sits on, he's the chairman of board, Tony Hunter and the CEO of Mark D'Souza, they're operators by nature. And I've never gotten into a business where I'm an endorser. I've created operating companies to run these businesses. So, that's, I'm looking at the fundamentals of business rather than being an endorser or standing next to a product. I can really care less about that. I like the fundamentals and seeing where cannabis is going, how it helps people medically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've experienced it with my mom who went through cancer and she had to use the regular pharmaceuticals. And if she had access to cannabis, maybe her treatment would have been different. Uh, I've seen players when I play, not legal at the time, use cannabis for not recreational but to help them sleep and anti-inflammatory so i think there are medical benefits for it and also it's a business that i think needs to be organized in some sort of way sure. capital is struggling to get into it right now because it's uh-huh. not on the federal level um so there's opportunity there and uh revolution they have allowed me to sit on the board to help them out with their retail since i have great uh knowledge of that with my papa john stores we probably have over 100 stores in 10 different states and along with the car business so they allow me to to, to, to play on the operations side, which I love to live at. I think that's a more sustainable business model if you do it correctly.
2: And how, how is the U.S. consumer doing as you read across your businesses like pizza and cars, et etc.?
10: Doing well. I mean, we had a struggle with Papa John's there for a little bit. Everybody knows what the struggle is there, but it's, it's trending up. Comps are, comps are trending up. Uh, car business is doing really well. We sell a lot of trucks. We're in the Detroit and also Kentucky market. Um, so we're in the the middle of america where you can get a better read on the economy you know uh if people are not servicing their cars and they're staying home that means to close your checkbook a look and stand on the sideline you know if people are buying more pizza because it's a accessible product to feed a family of four and pizza sales are going somewhere that means people are not going out as much so i kind of read it from that level and that's why i watch you guys to kind of compare of what i know and i don't know and kind of uh do my research that way so to me, things are doing well. Always couldn't be improved, and I'm a competitor. So, I mean, uh, we can always be efficient. Much
2: you invest efficient. in stocks?
10: I have, but you know what? I tend to bet on myself.
2: Okay. <laughs> yeah.
10: Yeah. Yeah. Investment. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs>
2: indeed. Jamal, pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you. Jamal Mashburn.
10: Love him.
4: What's not so, when I, so, you see, I mean, when I'm watching, when the NBA could watch it, uh-huh. I mean, Mash was a guy. He was a player of the year in the SEC, I think, 93? Yes. 93, correct. Played in the league for tw- probably averaged 20 points a game for your career-ish. Yes, yeah, we can go-ish. Yeah. <laughs> right 19.1, so I'll round up. Ish. You know, yeah. But even better, I mean, he's a really bright, smart, engaged, thoughtful yeah. person. I mean, that's wonderful to see. So good for Jamal, man. And the fact that he watches this show, come on.
2: 100%. Makes them even better, huh? 100%.
7: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I thought his commentary about what the NBA is doing and how they should proceed is really important. I think it was in a very sober manner. I think the NBA kind of checked themselves. I think there's a lot of ways that they could have done a lot of damage for the players, for the, for, for the franchise that they didn't do, but also all those other brands that are really tied in. And so him talking about it as a marketing organization, I think it's really important because we think about all these companies in the U.S. that don't have access to China, whether it be right. Facebook or whatever. This is the neg- next leg of growth for so many U.S. multinationals and we do have to be careful about it. And fact, there's 1.2 billion people over there, 500 million who watch basketball. So it's a tricky one, and I think the NBA is doing a good job so far.
2: I think it'll be interesting to see if Nike ever enters I this know. I, can see I mean, they what? manufacture there. This right. a there's so, for them. There's so
6: much at stake. I know. I think nothing at the moment
2: seems okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Coming up, the SEC rejects the last Bitcoin ETF standing. But does that really mark... The end for the Bitcoin bulls. Our Bitcoin baller BK will weigh in. Plus, Guy's going to step up to the plate with the stock he says is about to break out. He'll give us a name and tell us why. It's a home run. Much more fast coming up. Welcome back to Fast Money. We just talked basketball, so now let's talk a little baseball. It's another big night as the Tampa Bay Rays square off against the Houston Astros in a winner-take-all Game 5 of the ALDS. So in the spirit of baseball's big night, we decided to have our Guy Dami take to the mound to pitch his next big idea. So, Guy, what is it?
4: Mel, before we start, could you believe that Clayton Kershaw gave it up again in the playoffs last night? No. It's crazy, right? You were shocked by that. So was I. Ah, but we're here for the power pitch. Forget (laughs) about baseball for a second. You'd be like... What's he pitching now? And I guarantee I'm going to get crushed on this one. This is 80-20 against. But Robert Half, RHI, is a symbol. Why? A staffing company? You nuts? Yes. However, very reasonable valuation. 13 times soared earnings. Goldman Sachs downgraded the stock a few months ago on valuation, and it made sense there. And the stock actually cratered on the back of that. But now valuation makes a little more sense. Number two, these low unemployment numbers... They actually work for RHA. Why? Because a tight labor market, people need better people, and Robert Half has basically all the resources to help. This environment works to their benefit. And number three, strong growth in the protivity firm. So that's one of their arms. It's a counseling, consulting company. The revenue growth over the last couple of years, it's been extraordinarily strong. So much, in fact that it's become a very very major part of their revenue stream. So the stock has gotten crushed. I'm going to show you a chart. But as we come into earnings, you say to yourself, you know what, we've had a big move to the downside. I don't know... What that is, but it looks good. I mean, that's not the exact chart that I want. It doesn't matter. The point is this. It's held, it's, it's held support lines a couple of times. I think in terms of valuation, it makes sense. And I think as we go into earnings in a couple of weeks, this is a stock that might surprise. And you might see some analysts change their calls. So,
7: Guy, real quickly, is this just a short-term trading call, sentiment really bad, you have a catalyst, we know that we have, you know, employment where it is, is that what this is about, or is this like a really good opportunity for a longer-term?
4: Dan, I love your work on Fast Money and OA, (laughs) and that's exactly right. The last time I think I power-pitched, it was Citi, and it was the same type of call. This is a strict trading call on the back of a catalyst, the catalyst coming up to earnings, and the fact that I think the analysts might have to change their tune. So, to answer your question, yes.
2: All right, it's time to vote. Are you going to buy Guy's pitch on RHI? BK, what do you say?
5: For me, it's a uh, don't buy half, sell them all. I I just don't think in this environment it's going to be good for them. Sell. All right.
6: Karen? Maybe I can get on the board of the trading call, but I don't normally trade. So I'm going to pass. That's me um, passing at RHI basketball. Uh So guys, oh. it,
7: it, listen, brother, it's <laughs> like, not just You, know the what, desk. you were going to get slayed on Twitter <laughs> on this one. I mean, it's not going to be pretty here. But I, I, I just kind of feel like, listen, you know, we heard Mike Wilson talk about where he thinks we are in this business cycle, and we look at unemployment at 50-year lows and all that sort of stuff, and where the gains are coming. I just don't see it for that. Robert
0: Half.
2: By, by the way, Dan wrote sell even before you opened your account. <laughs> he it. wrote sell when he walked I, in. And he didn't even know yesterday. I mean, really, I mean, guys. Um, Alright, oh, okay. So uh, a clean sweep in terms of uh, passes on this task. <laughs> but are you at home buying guys' pitch on RHI? You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later in the show. Coming up, two big calls on crypto today in our Bitcoin Baller BK is laying out why he thinks the headlines could be a good sign for this space. Plus, no smiles here. Shares a Smile Direct Club getting slammed today, but we'll tell you why options traders think this stock is beaming with opportunity. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, a rough day for Bitcoin bulls. As the SEC denied approval for yet another Bitcoin-backed ETF. For all the details, let's get to Bob Pisani at the NYSC. Bob.
11: Hi, Melissa. The last Bitcoin ETF still standing has bit the dust. Last night, the SEC rejected the application for a Bitcoin ETF from Bitwise Asset Management on grounds that are pretty familiar by now, that the proposal doesn't meet standards that would prevent fraud and manipulation. This is a theme the SEC has sounded several times in the last two years. VanEck, which had a similar proposal for a Bitcoin ETF, they withdrew their version last month. So there's two main issues the SEC has cited over and over about this. First, First, is custody where firms hold Bitcoin on behalf of clients and where there's been reports of thefts and break-ins in the Bitcoin accounts that have been very widespread, that's a problem. And the second issue is regulation of the exchanges that set the prices for Bitcoin. The SEC has asserted that most of these exchanges are outside the United States and are subject to fraud and manipulation. Okay, so where are we? Is Bitcoin dead? Is the Bitcoin ETF dead? Certainly for this year. But Bitwise's Matt Hogan made it very clear that additional filings would be forthcoming to address the SEC's concerns. He said, we're pleased with the progress that the industry has made and believe that with additional research and continued progress in the broader ecosystem, the remaining concerns and challenges raised in this order will ultimately be satisfied. Finally on a separate but related issue, the CFTC said several years ago that Bitcoin is a commodity and therefore it's under its jurisdiction. Now, the CFTC chairman, Heath Tarbert, has said Ether, which is the world's second biggest cryptocurrency by market capitalization, is also a commodity as well. Back to you, Melissa.
2: All right, Bob. Thank you, Bob Pisani. So a little bad news, good news for the crypto
5: yeah. yeah, I mean, so on the ETF, um, it, this used to be a lot more important. We The problem the SEC has is that a huge portion of the Bitcoin trading is done outside the U.S. And so they're concerned that they don't have the view into those markets. That being said, there's been some developments. You have uh, companies like Fidelity and TD Ameritrade starting to push into this space. So ultimately, you're going to be able to buy Bitcoin in a regular brokerage account, or it's going to look like a regular brokerage account. So I'm less concerned that you need a Bitcoin ETF at this point in time. Actually, I think the second part of what Bob said, the CFTC, saying that Ethereum is a commodity, is huge for the space. It gives us regulatory clarity. The CFTC has now said, listen, if you're buying Bitcoin or these smart contract platforms, they are commodities. That opens the door for institutions to come in. The biggest thing when I sit in meetings, everybody's concerned. What if they ban it? What if they ban it? Well, you know what? The CFTC said, we're not banning it. We're going to regulate it. And now investors can say, put it in my commodity bucket. So now Ethereum, Bitcoin, and all the other smart contract platforms become the commodity for the digital economy. And I think that's huge. I think the market's missing that.
2: Could you also now have Ethereum futures?
5: And that's that is right. what the CFTC Isn't said, that, is Ethereum futures are that next. Wasn't that bad for Bitcoin? I I mean, I don't know. There was a lot of things going on with Bitcoin at the time. So it's kind of hard to isolate whether or not that was bad for Bitcoin. Um, I think in this day and age, if if they were to come out now, and Bitcoin's at 20000 right, Mm -hmm. when when, uh, futures came out for Bitcoin. In this day and age, I actually think it's a positive for Ethereum because the other thing we're seeing is a lot of macro funds starting to buy into the space. So they like to buy futures. We saw today a new product come out that's gold versus Bitcoin. That is actually pretty interesting too. That's demand from macro funds. I talked to the people who did that. They're telling me macro funds want to trade Bitcoin as digital gold. So you're starting to see it. It's a lot slower than we all thought. That quote unquote herd that was trampling. It's kind of tiptoeing, but it's actually happening. All right.
2: Coming up, the big opportunity in one being down name that's got options traders smiling ear to ear. And take a look at our Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Formel. We'll see him this morning eating a pumpkin spice spam. Oh, ugh. Uh, yeah, that interview had much more coming up at the top of the hour on Mad Money. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. There hasn't been much to smile about recently for Smile Direct Club. The stock finished the day down 7%. And with today's losses, Smile Direct is now down a whopping 55% since the company's IPO just last month. A big chunk of the loss is coming this week. Smile Direct down more than 30% since Monday. But options traders are still grinning at the opportunity to get in on the stock. (laughs) Mike Coe is in San Francisco to rescue us from all these puns. Mike.
1: Yeah, no, I think the important thing to recognize is that there's a time to buy stocks and there's a time to use options and I think participants in Smile Direct recognize that you're much wiser using options. We saw over 8 times the average daily call volume today. Most of that activity was concentrated in the November 10 calls. About 13,000 of those traded for just under a dollar and 75 cents. Buyers of those calls are betting that it's going to be above the $10 strike price by the $1.75 that they paid. That would represent an upside of at least uh, 17.5% between now and November expiration, which is going to be five weeks from tomorrow. But if you consider that this stock was over 13.5% two days ago and it was over 14.73 days ago, you begin to understand why in these catch-the-falling-knife situations it might make sense, even when options are expensive, as they are here. It's implying about a 30-plus percent move over the next 5%. Uh, over the next five weeks, up or down, it can be wiser to use options, limit your risk, still get some participation to the upside.
2: I mean, the risk-reward on paper seems okay, Dan, but would yeah, you I,
7: I think
5: Mike's, try and catch listen, the falling This night? was
7: priced at 23 bucks not long right. ago. There was a lot of enthusiasm about it at much higher levels. And so the point is, if you think it's getting oversold, I think to define your risk and, and do that. And when Mike just said the stock was at 14 a couple of days ago. But you have to have a reason to do it. I mean, otherwise, it's just like, poof, it's a very expensive when, lottery ticket.
6: When are the underwriters free to put out recommendations on this stock? Usually. How long is it's, it?
7: Usually, uh, I don't
6: know how long A few months. Or
7: something like that. That. No, 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 no. They're, they're, Anyways, they're all out. There's time. ten buys on yeah. it. They're
6: they like it at twenty-three, right? They're going to have to like it at ten and change. You would think, so maybe for a, I mean, but I, kind of up.
4: Align Technology was a four hundred dollar stock yeah. this time last year. It closed at one ninety-five, and we, and we told you to avoid this sucker, this Smile Direct. I know we did because I sat here. But their business model is flawed. They should have done a special Brexit braces thing for our friends in the UK. Karen's laughing. It's not even that funny. They would have crushed it. Every single time you talk about the stock,
2: you have to bring up Britain.
5: Am I wrong? Uh,
2: Probably. I mean, I don't know.
5: I, I mean, listen, there's a lot to chew on with this one. So uh, I don't Just give a lip service. Uh, but I think trading options I'm is the way to do done. it. Done. We're done with this.
2: Uh, Mike, thanks for more options action. The live shows tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next is America buying guys pitch on Robert Haas. Oh,
11: no. I
2: don't think they are. But it's your last chance to vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. The results when we come right back. To reveal whether you at home are buying Guy's pitch on RHI. Unfortunately, it wasn't closed. There's was one thing that Guy was right about, and that was the spread, pretty much. 74% against, 74% against, 26% for. So here it is, Tony Brax. I mean for your listening pleasure. Yeah, and you gotta stop miserable.
5: voting for yourself. <laughs> Final trade time, BK. Don't ignore what's going on in the gold market. Check out Newmont Mining. That's the way to play it.
6: Aaron. Yes, Delta Airlines. I know it's a little disappointing today, but some of those expenses, I think they can they can rationalize somewhat. And, and it's cheap. I like it. Dan?
7: Yeah, so uh, U.S. Treasury is getting hit here. Obviously yields up a little bit. I think there's probably a little more room to the downside, but I think you buy the TLT pretty
4: soon, maybe somewhere in the high 130s. Key? Mel, Strohs or Tampa Bay and I Pick one. Strohs. <laughs>
9: wow. like in my head. It's amazing.
4: Robert Half suckers in the in the face, <laughs> as Eddie Murphy says.
2: What does Stro stand for? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be back at our five. Mad Money starts right now.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.